Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. Welcome to another episode of Renew Theology. Um, today we're going to be talking about judging. Um, what does it mean? What does that passage in Matthew mean? What does it mean when a non-believer comes up to you and says, you can't say anything about the way I'm living my life because it says don't judge? We're going to talk about all of that. Hooray! We're also going to be talking about judging other believers and inside the church and what that looks like because sometimes as believers we we take two extremes either we never ever judge anybody or we judge the extreme it seems like we either swing between um, passiveness or being very critical of other people so we're gonna dive into both of those issues today and we're gonna talk about like bethany said judging now when i was growing up i was extremely prideful and selfish and not self-aware. But it got to a point where when people asked me, when it, what's one of the things you really struggle with? I would say judgment because I thought it was acceptable. <laughs> like I thought it was one of those things where it's like, oh, you must be uber Christian because that's what you're struggling with. So I would say it. Problem was, it was like way more true than I ever thought. Is that like when you're in a job interview and, and somebody's like, what's your weakness? And you're like, oh, I just... I'm just too organized. Like, I struggle with perfection. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I just work too hard. Yeah. It's exactly like that. And I think like for some reason it was acceptable to me to struggle with being judgmental. Hmm. Although now looking back, I was just a jerk <laughs> and needed to grow up. All right. So we are going to work through some different Bible passages here. But something that I just want to point out before we get started is that everybody judges every single person, including the people who are telling other people not to judge. So if Bethany is being judgmental of somebody and I say to her, Bethany, stop being so judgmental, I'm judging her. I'm looking at her and I am making a decision that there is something wrong about the way she is behaving or acting. So there is no such thing as somebody who's not judgmental. Kind of like if you're praying at the dinner table and you peek to see if your siblings are peeking and then try to get them in trouble and you don't realize the fact that you saw them peeking means that you were peeking. Exactly. We're drawing so many helpful analogies. (laughs) Shout out to my brothers who will probably never listen to this podcast, but now you're in it. (laughs) So the first passage we're going to work through here is uh, Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 6. So we are going to go through this passage verse by verse, but first I'm going to read it in its entirety. So I'm reading from the ESV version and uh, here we go. Matthew chapter seven, starting at verse one, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, will it be measured to you? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So this passage is a brief part of Jesus's 
Sermon on the Mount. So he's speaking here to a crowd of people and he's he's laying out a large portion of his teachings. Um, and as we just read, he does a whole little mini sermon on the act of judging. So if you're looking at the Greek word for judge, it is krino, and it means to decide. So I'm just going to read verse 1 here again briefly. So verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. The judging that Jesus is referring to here is the act of seeing someone's decisions, words, or behaviors, and defining them by it. So it's not simply looking at something and saying, okay, that's wrong. It's actually categorizing a person based on the decision or behavior that we see in them. And uh, we all tend to do this. We tend to look at somebody and because they speak a certain way or behave a certain way, we tend to go, oh, they're that kind of person, right? And in doing this, we actually dehumanize them. We take away their dignity and we treat them as less than. Next, we're going to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The title of this little paragraph is The Problem of Immaturity in My Bible. And here it is. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness, because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So that last verse there is talking about discernment. And when you're a disciple of Christ, becoming a disciple of Jesus means growing in your ability to discern and make judgments. So looking at something and saying this is right or this is wrong, being able to discern good and evil. Now, whether this is in in your daily life or it's something you see on TV and you make a discernment, I'm not going to watch this. Or you say, hey, this is something that's really good for me. That is making a judgment. And as you grow in Christ, you get better and better at doing that. This verse directly refutes the idea that as Christians, we should live and let live. It shows that we have a responsibility to make judgment calls on what is happening around us. When we see something wrong, we are required and responsible for calling it right or wrong. We don't get to just ignore it. And not only is it our responsibility, but the ability to discern about those things is actually the mark of a maturing disciple, somebody who is growing in Christ and who is growing spiritually. Now, let's make a distinction here. Just because you're making a discernment on whether something is right or wrong does not mean you speak it from the rooftops. Um, You can make that decision and keep it to yourself if that's need be, because oftentimes if you see someone who's doing something and you make a judgment that that is not good and then you call them on it, that might not be the loving thing to do. In fact, Jesus oftentimes didn't do that to those people who were caught in those sins. He's quite rough on the Pharisees, but for the common everyday folk who are stuck in their sins, he doesn't go around 
saying to the prostitutes, you're a prostitute, or to the tax collector, you're a tax collector, you're a bad money changer, like you steal. He does not tell them those things, even though those things are true. He simply shows him, a, shows them a better way. And then that, that outpouring of Jesus's love um, encourages them to look at their own hearts, and then they can make that, that judgment for themselves with help. Just, we're not saying, yes, we're saying, yes, Christians need to be good at discerning the will of like good and evil, but don't go around speaking from the rooftops everything you discern, good or evil. That's not what this scripture says, and that's not what we're saying. Yeah, and we're actually going to touch on that a bit later as well um, in a little bit more detail. Bethany, would you read Matthew chapter 7, verse 2 for us, please? Uh-huh. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here Jesus is not telling us to never make moral decisions about others. Rather, he's telling us that there is a right way and a wrong way to make a judgment about someone's behavior. This is where having thorough knowledge of scripture is imperative. If we do not have good knowledge of scripture, we are not going to be able to use scripture as our standard. We we have to have an objective moral standard of judgment when we are making judgments about what's going on around us. We are not going to be able to make right judgment or be discerning if we do not have an objective moral standard. When we allow ourselves to be our moral standard, we're biased because we have no foundation to prove what we're saying is true. Christians should know this. If you're a Christian and you don't know this, you need to know this. We use the Bible as our objective moral standard, and in doing so, we must allow it to have authority over us and our opinions. So that means that when I am looking at somebody, I need to align my opinions with the opinions of Scripture. Because if I don't, now I'm just another person with another opinion. I'm not, I've lost the ability to have good discernment. Others often have an opinion and then they use the Bible, often out of context, to prove their point rather than allowing the Bible to be their standard and have the authority. James chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Notice here that whether or not the person is actually wrong is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What James is addressing here is your response. We tend to make a moral judgment, but then we tend to take it a step further, right? Earlier, I talked about how we are apt to dehumanize each other. We fill in assumptions and we categorize those people. So based on one action or behavior or decision, we fill in the motive of the person. We fill in what the behind the scenes things are that are going on. We add all of our own background to what we see. And we categorize them. And in doing this, we dehumanize them. And then we'll go even a step further and we'll actually tell other people what we think about them, right? And this is slander. 
when we take our opinion of somebody and we fill in the backstory and then we go talk to other people about it, we are not only dehumanizing them in our own sight, but in the sight of others. We'll even sit there and we'll just assume that God is on our side in all of this, where it's sort of like me and Jesus versus this other person. And that is what James is addressing here and what Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 7. I will add a quick note here too about the fact that in this scenario, we are not lovingly pointing out an issue in somebody else's life. In this situation, we are speaking against somebody. We're talking about the person rather than to them. We're not confronting the issue. We're spreading the issue around. Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 4. Accept anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes him he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? Before his own Lord he stands or fails, and he will stand." For the Lord is able to make him stand. So here Paul's talking about the Jews and the Greeks. So this is an often a problem um, that comes up in the New Testament because the Jews come from a background where there's strict dietary laws, strict clothing, um, strict uh, like Sabbath laws. And their whole life is governed by these laws. And they've been living like this for hundreds of years. But the Greeks or the Gentiles who are now becoming part of the church have never been part of that tradition. So there's the conflict of what your normal background is. This could be maybe someone who's from here, maybe in like Canada or the United States going and marrying someone who's from, I don't know, China or Indonesia or India and trying to marry those two cultures together. Things that those cultures just do because that's what they've always done can be very different from each other and having to navigate that is difficult. Well, now put it in the context of your salvation and your faith and how you live your life as a Christ follower in the first century. It makes it extremely difficult to put those two together to try and figure out, okay, what's the Lord's will on this? So the idea is that um, Jews thought Greeks should follow the secondary laws. So those are like eating kosher. Um, And that's the idea here. So someone who doesn't eat meat for whatever reason and only eats vegetables, they would be considered the weaker brother in this circumstance. So Paul is saying, don't pass judgment on your brother just because he doesn't follow the same non-gospel traditions as you, since we have freedom in Christ in these things. So he's saying, he's not saying that your background or your traditions or what you grew up with doesn't matter. He's saying that your relationship with another believer is more important than those things. And that because Jesus came to fulfill the law and that he has a new covenant with us, if you're a believer, you're not under the Old Testament laws, such as eating kosher. That's not um, vital or important to, to your life anymore. What's important to your life is being in communion and fellowship with your brother. And don't make a big fuss over something just because you don't think it's a big deal or because you think it is a big deal because it's not a gospel issue. We're going to read the next section of verses from Matthew chapter 7. Verses 3 to 5 says this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Something to notice here is that there could very well be the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying you're seeing an illusion, you're hallucinating, there is no issue with the other person, there is no speck. But he is emphasizing a speck versus a log, right? So picture like a little bug in one person's eye and a big beam, like a telephone pole in your own eye. There really is a speck in the other person's eye. But Jesus's emphasis is on the fact that you need to have your own stuff figured out so that when you go to your brother, this is actually a point of healing. It's coming from a place of humility and it's coming from a place of recognition that Jesus has already dealt with your issues. And so you now have freedom to go to your brother about his issues. And credibility too. Because if like I have a big issue and I go to someone who has like the same issue, but on a smaller scale, me trying to help them, they're going to be like, you don't even know. Like, you you deal with this way more than I do. Why should I listen to you? Like, the credibility just is not there. So the question is, what do you do when you see an issue in someone else? When you see a brother or sister and they have an issue, a speck or whatever, what do you do about that? Jesus says the first step here is to recognize your own log. Recognize that your vision is impaired. Recognize that you have an issue first. Evaluate yourself. Check your own heart. Ask the Lord to work in your own heart. And ask yourself, do I have the whole story? Do I have all the facts? Do I know everything I need to know? Next, um, if if they really do have a speck, I should assume that my own issues and sins are more serious than the person I'm observing. So, like, you have a telephone pole in your eye and the other person has a little piece of sawdust. Like, that's a big difference. So, Jesus saw me with my telephone pole and condemning is exactly what Jesus does not do. Even though that's what I want to do with a speck. Even though he's the one person who has every right to do, to judge you for having the telephone pole. Yeah, Jesus didn't have telephone poles or specks. He didn't have any issues. He's the one person who has every right to condemn me. But that's exactly what he doesn't do. As Bethany mentioned earlier, he didn't he didn't go to the people who are broken and point out their issues. He actually pointed out issues in the people who seem to think they didn't have any. Cuz people who do have issues that are aware of them, they know they have them. A prostitute knows she's a prostitute. Someone who steals knows he steals. But someone who is relying on their outward works to save them, they might think they have the whole outside when God really cares about what's going on in their head and their heart. The third thing is that when I allow Jesus to deal with my telephone pole or the beam in my eye, it completely changes me. It completely changes my heart and my attitude toward the other people around me. So now it's no longer me and Jesus versus the other person. It puts me on the same level and the same playing field as other disciples of Jesus. So now it's all of us together. It creates a unity among us because we all recognize that we are all broken 
and we all recognize our need for Jesus. There's nothing now that anybody else can say about me that hasn't already been dealt with on the cross. Jesus has already dealt with my issues and my telephone poles. So now it doesn't matter what another brother or sister says about me or to me because Jesus has already dealt with those things and he's already started to work in my life. That being said, we still need each other. We are all in a community. So we all need Jesus first to deal with our issues, but then we also need our neighbors and our brothers and our sisters to point out things that we need to work on and to point out those specks and those issues that we're dealing with. Next, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5 verses 11 through 12. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? But God judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. The ultimate goal of discerning is not to find out all the issues. It's to point people to the gospel. The idea here is that we don't need the gospel if there's no sin. We need discernment so we can see our issues, to see that there is a need for the gospel. Sometimes a reminder that there's a need for the gospel. There's this idea in Christendom where once you're a believer, you're working on small things and, and there are things that you can probably fix on your own, but that's not true. We need Every, every person needs the gospel. Um, believers just the same. So when we take sin seriously by using God's moral standard. We can take the gospel for what it is, the good news of salvation to those who believe. And the point of God telling us what is right and wrong is so that we can be brought into right relationship with him by recognizing my sin and allowing him to deal with it. That's a lifelong process. It's called sanctification, brothers and sisters. So a quick example from my life is that when I was in college, um, there were, I was with a lot of different friends because everyone's moving everywhere and you just you're friends with people and I had some some of my friends who were doing things differently than when I was growing up um and some of them were doing things that I was like no wrong bible says no and I was I was truly trying to figure out how do I approach these people because I love them like they're my sisters in Christ like I want to do right by them so I would ask my my bible professor the question how do I approach my 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 friend about this issue and he said you're not going to gain anything by going and pointing fingers because people don't see your heart that way. But if you have spent time in the word and you've prayed and you've um, prayed to God for them, interceded for them to the point of tears and you come to this person and you're like, I see this in your life and you have tears pouring down your eyes and you let your love for them like bleed through everything that you're doing, they're not going to feel the condemnation that they may otherwise. They're going to feel... I am so concerned for you that I have been talking to God on your behalf and I really, I care about you as a person and I want you to be right with God and I think that this is an issue you need to deal with. That humbleness, or that, that humility comes off and it totally changes the encounter. I think if that's how we confronted what we were believed were wrongdoings in the life of, lives of other believers that we were close to, it would totally change the whole ballgame. Yeah. And that's exactly what the last verse in our Matthew passage says. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is a call for wisdom. 
when we need to confront somebody about a sin issue in their life, wisdom is so important. Because when I rush in with my judgment or help and I just slam them with truth, I can not only disrespect the truth that I hold so close to my heart, but I can invoke the opposite reaction in that person. If somebody has an issue and I come in and I just throw the word of God at them and I'm just like, here, this is an issue and here's all the scripture to back it up. I could be right. I could be absolutely right. But I am not going to encourage an attitude of repentance from that person because they're going to feel so attacked. This is a lesson in relationships. If I have to give somebody a hard and heavy truth, I need to have a strong bridge to that person. I need to have a strong enough relationship with that person in order to support the truth I am carrying to them. This is basic. This is how to be a good friend 101. If you have just met somebody on the street and you are calling them out about serious sin issues in their life, you're not going to make a whole lot of friends. But if you take the time to invest in a relationship with somebody and you gradually build that relationship up to the point where it is strong enough, then you can start speaking truth into that person's life in a way that is appropriate for the type of relationship that you have. And vice versa, they can do the same to you. Exactly. In other words, we don't have permission as believers to speak into everyone's lives. I have permission to speak into some of my friends' lives, right? We have the kind of relationship that allows us to ask the tough questions and challenge issues in each other. But I don't have the right to go up to just anybody in my church and point out an issue in their life. That's not that's exactly what Jesus is condemning. He's saying you you don't get to judge everybody else. You can discern what's right and wrong, but you don't get to look down on everybody else. You don't get to condemn everybody else. Well, you don't get to condemn anybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't get to condemn each other as believers. Oftentimes in my life, I found myself wanting to talk to friends of mine about issues they were having because I wanted them to get in trouble. I mean, as, as, a, as a sibling, as an older sister, that was pretty commonplace growing up, tattling. Mom, dad, Ethan put his broccoli under his plate. Like that, that sort of atmosphere. And if you're trying to be a holier than thou Christian or you're trying to have it all together and you think by pointing out where other people are falling short, somehow that's going to make you better, you're wrong. Like that is a heart problem. And God judges the heart through his word. Hebrews 4 verses 12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God looks at the heart. He knows what your intentions are behind what you're doing. If you if you search your own heart, that's probably a good principle here is when you're thinking about talking to somebody else, spend the time, ask God to search your heart. And be, be honest with yourself. What are your motives in coming to this person? If it's totally for their welfare and for their well-being and because you love them and care for them as a friend and you do have that relational bridge, go for it. 
But if there's something in your heart that you need to repent of, maybe it's pride, the fact that you don't have that issue or you don't think that you have that issue, that needs to be put away. If it's um, some, some desire to see other people get in trouble or suffer, that needs to be taken care of before the Lord because that's probably a bigger issue than anything your brother has. And even if they have something bigger, God gets to deal with that, not you, until you deal with your own stuff. Um, and that's hard because a lot of the time what people see is the outside. Oftentimes people don't get to see the heart. They don't know what your motives are behind it, but God does. Don't don't think you can hide. The very next word verse is nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I don't need to account for my actions to anybody but God. For the most part. Like he is the ultimate judge in my life. So with that, we are going to move on to our question of the week. Hooray, question of the week. We're so excited to do this again. Okay. Emily, this is our question (laughs) of the week. Am I answering first? Yeah. Okay. What is the most annoying question that people ask you? The most annoying question people ask me is if I'm pregnant. (laughs) It is unbelievable how many times I've had this question asked. and Well, you've been married for how long? Like two and a half years. Yeah. Not very long. The The weird thing about this is you think you'd be like, man, yeah, that would be really annoying. Like, could you imagine just having like random people being like, yo, you pregnant? <laughs> and no, here's the thing. Okay. These are the closest people <laughs> to me constantly. Are you pregnant? Or I'll say anything and they'll just, I'll get looks. I was, um, I was... At work one day, I I had to stay home one day from work because I was feeling sick. I had like a really like brief flu bug or something. My whole stomach just felt off. I have called in sick to work twice, like in the last three years that I've been there. Like it's very rare for me to be sick. So this raised some eyebrows apparently. And the next day I came into work and my one coworker and my boss both apparently the previous day had had a discussion about why I was sick and the assumption was ooh maybe Emily is pregnant and experiencing morning sickness yeah that was not the case it literally just happened today when I came to record because Emily is an organizer and she suddenly felt the need to get a new planner to reorganize her life for whatever reason no 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 not for whatever reason I I mentioned to Bethany that my life was feeling a little chaotic lately like I just felt really disorganized (laughs) and that she needed a new planner and my thought was she's pregnant that's why she she has a baby on the way and she she needs to like figure this out that's why she's feeling all of this stress to get her life under control I did not voice this. Okay. I'm a good friend. I have not said that. In fact, I'm getting a lot better about not asking that. Yeah. There's I think we're down couple... to like once a month now. Okay. Not even <laughs> that. I'm getting so much better, but like, yeah. I don't know. I'm excited. I want to see your babies one day. It's fine. It's fun. It, it does not bother me. I know. I mean, I know. I didn't voice it. I didn't. <laughs> and I know that the question this week was the most annoying question people ask you. It's more just like amusing to me now. It's like, I wonder how many times people are going to ask me, 
or you know if I ever mentioned about like oh yeah someday when William and I have a family everybody just assumes that that's my pregnancy announcement and it's like guys I'm gonna be way more creative about it when I tell you that I'm pregnant we'll have to tell you we'll have to tell you guys the story one day about how she told me she was engaged that's a good one yeah that was fun to do I'm expecting a super great pregnancy announcement just so you know so much pressure all right Bethany what's the most annoying question people ask you so are you in a relationship do you know any nice guys like do you have a boyfriend um no nope not currently as of what is it april 1st you don't know any nice guys i know nice guys (laughs) but they're married or unavailable (laughs) Ah. like i don't know that's the thing that's where i am right now i live in a small town i go to a smallish church like i don't know it's what it is um yeah and most of the time it's not my close friends that ask me that because most of us go to the same church and they'd know. Um, yeah, I've never I, asked you that. Well, maybe sometimes when I was away at school. No, I think you just told me. Oh, <laughs> well, here's the thing. So it's mostly family, like people who don't see me other than when our extended family gets together um, or I've been away. Like when I went away to school, um, every time I came back home, it'd be, there'd be the question, my mom was especially great for asking this question. Um, so any nice, any nice boys? Cause you know, you can't marry an American one cause uh, you're coming back home to Canada. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay. Either I'll marry Canadian or I'll convince an American to come live in Canada with me. It's all right. Like I'm not going to stay in the States, but it's mostly family members who are like, Hmm, so any, any boys like whatever. Um, and no, not currently. Okay. Your turn to close off. Cause I, I intro'd. Thanks for listening to this episode of Renew Theology. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at renewtheology at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the Renew Theology Podcast, and you can find us on Instagram at Renew Theology. We would also really appreciate it if you would take the time and review or rate us on Apple Podcasts. We do already have uh, several ratings, but we really, really appreciate any ratings or reviews that you could offer since those help other people to find us and share this episode if you enjoyed it and we will talk to you next time have a great week bye